Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Evolve Wellness Experience. As you all know, I'm Dr. Bill Jensen, and today we are going to be getting into a topic that is definitely relevant right now. Uh, A lot of my members have been asking me questions uh, as a result of having recovered from COVID-19 and then having symptoms that seem to be lingering for a while, and we're going to get into some of those symptoms today. But you may have heard the term long haulers, where people get COVID and then, you know, they get over it, but then they have, you know, fatigue and all these other symptoms that linger for a long period of time. So today we're going to get into all that. We're going to give you some really good information if you've had it or if you know somebody that's had it, some some really good applicable things now that we now have found out through research because we've been in this thing for 18 months and a lot of people have recovered from it um, in, in ways that you can easily, you know, get over this a little quicker, get back to the life you deserve and, uh, You know, that's obviously what we want to do during these times. So I hope you enjoy. All right. So like I said, um, you know, uh, the reason uh, it's interesting how this all occurs. Right. So, you know, I've definitely known like a lot of people that have had COVID members of our practice, friends, um, you know, others in in general. But uh, it always occurs, obviously, when when somebody gets this this really near and dear to you, um, you know, then it takes a whole, you know, another turn, obviously, because, you know, somebody you really care about. So um, my girlfriend, Dr. Amber Worley's mother uh, recently well, it's back on the 16th now of of August. So literally about a month ago, she was, she's up in Ohio and she came down, uh, started feeling sick. You know, uh, she didn't actually go in and get tested right away. She kind of just had some mild symptoms. She didn't really think much of it. Uh, but then she finally did start to get pretty down. And so she went in and she got tested. And as a result of that, they, she was COVID positive. Uh, you know, they checked her vitals. Her O2 sat rates were 95%, so they weren't really too concerned about it. Uh, and so what they told her to actually do is go home and take cough syrup for her cough. And then if it gets much worse, you know, come back. Well, literally within, I don't know, I was maybe three days or something like that, um, her other daughter went over to see her at the house because uh, they lived down the road from each other. And her mom uh, was kind of like unresponsive. And the doctor had given her um, an O2 sat monitor for her finger just to kind of monitor her oxygen levels uh, as a take home uh, monitor. And uh, they put it on their finger and her oxygen levels were like at 65%. And her lips were slightly like cyanotic and blue. So they immediately called the ambulance and uh, they rushed her to the hospital. And literally, she, as of today, is still in the hospital right now as we speak. Now, she's significantly improved, um, but she still requires a little bit of oxygen. And she's dealing with all the other secondary effects of getting over COVID now. So she's past the COVID phase, but she's dealing with the the collateral damage, as you will, uh, from the COVID. So as a result of that, obviously, now I started really looking into you know, when when you are over COVID, you know, what are the things that a person can do in order to mitigate the damage from, you know, the immune system and the inflammatory reactions and the cytokine storms and all the things that were going on so that she can obviously hopefully, you know, get off the oxygen quicker, get back to her life sooner and, and make a full recovery as a result of that. So and, and as is always the case, whenever you're dealing with any other type of pathological problem in the body, the sooner you start treating it and mitigating it, 
the more likely it is you are to recover fully. Because there are some people that wait too long and the damage is done uh, as far as their lungs are concerned, for sure. So, so I started digging really deep into research studies that are being done, mechanisms behind uh, COVID, what happens to the body, um, and then practical solutions that anybody should be able to do uh, during and post-COVID infection. So, so I'm really going to divide this up into kind of two main parts. First, we're going to talk about what long-haul COVID is. We're going to talk a little bit about um, the pathological process of COVID-19 and what it actually does to your body. And then from there, we're going to go through the different kind of systems and things that people experience in ways uh, that they can uh, take vitamins or supplements or botanicals or uh, other interventions uh, beyond uh, medication, uh, because obviously we have our protocols for medications in the ER and, and probably post um, release from ER, but um, but there are definitely things that are very, very beneficial uh, on a vitamin and botanical supplementation uh, basis, essentially. So, so let's get into what it really is. So long haulers, um, first of all, I didn't realize that long hauler, in order to be classified or diagnosed as having long hauler syndrome, you have had to have symptoms of it for 12 weeks or more. So basically from onset of symptoms up to 12 weeks, that's not considered long haulers. That's within the normal range of dealing with symptoms of COVID-19 and recovery from COVID-19. But what we need to understand as far as SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19, for first of all, you know, one of the things that people get confused is COVID-19 is the actual disease, is, is the actual effects from the disease. It's kind of, let me give you a good example that most people understand. HIV is the virus. AIDS is the syndrome from having HIV once you start, it starts getting out of control, right? So SARS-CoV-2 is the, is the virus, right? And the effects of it is a condition called COVID-19, all right? Now, very, very similar to um, HIV and AIDS. Most people don't die, actually, of AIDS. They die as of repercussions from having AIDS, i.e. pneumonia or other opportunistic diseases that come in when your immune system becomes so compromised. Very, very similar process with COVID-19. Most people don't really die so much of COVID-19. A lot of people die from the cytokine storm, the inflammatory reactions, the um, COVID pneumonia, and all the other secondary things that, that set in as a result of having COVID-19. But one of the main, main things is the really severe immune response that occurs as a result of getting COVID-19. Um, and it, it, it has a, a negative effect on something called an inflammasome. And a lot of people don't know about that. And inflammasome is like inflammation, but it's a, a cellular inflammation cell. So inflammasomes are innate immune system receptors and sensors that regulate the activation of something called caspase number one. And they induce inflammation in response to infection from microbes and molecules derived from host proteins. So this uncontrolled release of inflammatory cytokines, a lot of people have been hearing the term in the news, cytokine storms, uh, that leads to severe, sometimes irreversible damages of the epithelial tissue, which lines the lungs. So when you look at somebody that has severe COVID-19 symptoms and all this inflammation, it, it really just looks like, um, they call it a ground glass appearance. And you'll see that on a CAT scan or an x-ray. And... Um, and it basically is just like a ton of fluid and a ton of inflammation, and it really obstructs the, the flow of, of oxygen 
you know, into the bloodstream. So that's why we have this big, big issue, uh, you know, getting good oxygen into our tissues. So, you know, the bottom line is this disease, just like every other disease, for the most part, at a cellular level, is an inflammatory disease. So when we talk about inflammation, a lot of the mitigating effects that we're going to talk about beyond your immune system getting over it and getting rid of the virus itself is mitigating all the secondary inf inflammation that occurs at, at many regions, and not just the lungs and not just the heart, but the brain and, and a lot of other tissues in the body. So, so that, that's basically what we're going to focus on today in the solutions to the problem. But 18 months into the pandemic, we now see many people have had COVID-19, they're suffering from lingering effects, and they're calling it long haulers. Another common terms that they refer to it, you'll hear long COVID or post-acute sequela of SARS-CoV-2, which is a kind of a technical term, uh, post-COVID syndrome, chronic COVID-19. So those are all just interchangeable for lingering effects that we can't... Um, it can be explained by another diagnosis. So, so a person can have blood clots, right? And so blood clotting is a secondary effect from COVID-19, but it doesn't necessarily make you have long haulers, right? So you could just have a blood clot. It doesn't mean you have long haulers from that. So another thing that's a, a distinguishing characteristic is the length of the system, uh, uh, symptoms that somebody can suffer from as a result of having COVID-19 is really dependent on a multitude of different factors. Um, but one, you know, would be like, how severe was the infection? You know, did somebody have a mild infection and wasn't ever hospitalized? Or did somebody have a massive infection like um, Dr. Worley's mom and was hospitalized for a month? You know, so that, that's obviously going to be a big predictor of um, how severe the symptoms are and, and how long they could last post-discharge uh, from the hospital. Um, and, you know, another one would be just the symptom itself. So if you talk about you know, what's a symptom of a person that has COVID-19? It could be fever. Now, well, a fever is not going to last two months, right? A fever is going to be a short-term symptom of COVID-19. You'll get over that in maybe three to five days or less, um, and then that's that. But a cough, for example, you know, in, in, in long haulers, we see people suffering with cough for up to two months after they get over the COVID-19 infection. So cough certainly could be another uh, symptom that's associated with it. Well, interestingly enough, I found two studies. I do love my studies, as you know. Um, one was done in April of this year, in 2021, and it was a um, based out of healthcare workers that were in Sweden. And so what they did, these would be assessing people um, eight months post-COVID that had mild symptoms. So these individuals were healthcare workers, they got COVID-19, but they weren't hospitalized or anything serious of that nature. They just were diagnosed with it. And so what they did is they took 300 healthcare workers and they assessed them 60 days post-COVID-19 uh, infection. And then what they did is they did a control group. So they had people that were actually tested and COVID positive, and then they had people that had symptoms of COVID but tested negative. And what they found is that 60 days after they got over it, the people that tested positive with COVID-19, 26% of them had some type of symptoms that were kind of associated with long haulers uh, syndrome versus the group that were negative only had about 9% uh, symptoms 60 days post. They then went in and they assessed them uh, eight months post-infection or in the case that had negative symptoms uh, or negative tests, I should say. 
And the people went from 26% uh, after 60 days to 15% after eight months. So they still had some of these symptoms lingering for eight months post-infection versus the control group that was negative, they only had 3% uh, of rate. And about 8 to 15% versus 4% said that it actually interfered with their work or their social life at home and their ability to do normal things that they hadn't had trouble with before. Then there was another one, and this one focused on uh, people that had COVID-19, but these individuals were hospitalized. So they had much more severe infections. Um, They took 1,600 subjects in this particular one, and they evaluated them 60 days post-discharge. Remember, the the group that was mild, 60 days post-infection had a 26% chance of having lingering symptoms. The people that were hospitalized had a 33% chance. So not significantly more, but more, no doubt about that. Um, And those symptoms would include uh, trouble breathing with stair climbing. That was 24% of them. Shortness of breath and chest tightness. That's about 17% of them. Cough, 15% of them. Loss of taste or smell, which was 13% of the people. And, um, And those were kind of the main symptoms. Interesting thing about the loss of taste or smell, which is a very common thing you'll hear people talk about when they're infected with COVID-19, is that's complete loss. So if you add in actually in the study like um, a deficit in taste or smell, many more people had it uh, than 13% and um, uh, post-COVID, obviously, within that 60-day period if they were hospitalized. So it just depends if it's complete loss or just reduction in taste and smell. Some of the other less common physical symptoms people have been complaining about with this is joint pain, headaches, uh, rhinitis, uh, which is inflammation uh, like a runny nose or congestion of the nose, poor appetite, dizziness, vertigo, muscle pain, uh, insomnia, loss of hair, sweating, and digestive complaints or irritability like diarrhea, for example. Some of the other uh, common neurological things that people are seeing as well, it's, it's not just uh, coughing and shortness of breath and lack of energy. Neurological symptoms, some people are getting PTSD. Uh, 7 to 24% of people report having PTSD post-COVID. Impaired memory, 18 to 21% people kind of feel, you know, they can't remember, they can't recall, they're not that sharp. You might refer to it as brain fog, which we'll talk a little bit more about that. Poor concentration. Um, and anxiety and depression. 23% of people reported anxiety and depression post-COVID. So really when you look at it, um, and I was kind of diving into like some of the symptoms, you can break this down into kind of five main areas. You know, it certainly affects the cardiopulmonary system, which is the heart and the lungs. We kind of know that. We've been hearing that in the news a lot. Clearly based upon, you know, the PTSD, apparent memory, poor concentration, anxiety, depression, it clearly affects the neurological system. Uh, We obviously know that a lot of people are getting blood clots and having clotting issues that are occurring as well. So clearly it affects the vascular system. We have people that are losing sense of smell and taste. So it clearly affects the olfactory system, which which provides sense of smell. And then we have a ton of people. One of the most common things is fatigue. People just feel, you know, they're short of breath. They, they don't feel energetic. They want to sleep all the time. They try to get back into working out. They just don't have, uh, you know, the energy it takes anymore. Uh, and so mitochondrial health. Um, we're going to get into that and how the uh, virus affects the mitochondria. All right, since we're on the topic of 
COVID-19 and obviously more importantly immune system involvement, um, I I guess it goes without saying that uh, one of the most important things that people don't think about as it pertains to the immune system is actually the integrity of your gut or your stomach and digestive tract. A huge, huge portion of your immune system resides within that. So if you have issues within the gut and you're diverting all of your immunity to dealing with issues in that area, then you have less immune system cells to be going circulating throughout the rest of the body and fighting off, you know, things like COVID-19 or other infections as well. So um, a little known test that is a go-to test, I think it's probably one of the most important tests most everybody should do. It's called a Viome test. It's called V-I-O-M-E. So if you go to Viome.com, and what that is, is you order an at-home kit. They send it to you in the mail. It's a combination of two things. You to uh, stick your finger with a little needle, take a little blood sample, which is super simple, and then you do a small stool sample, and then you send the lab results in. And within two weeks, they send you back um, all the results of integrity, gut leak, uh, leakiness, uh, pathway issues, um, Uh, Other issues, obviously, with food intolerances that you don't really know you have. So, like, for example, you eat broccoli and you think broccoli is healthy for you and you really like it, yet you don't realize it's causing an inflammatory reaction in your gut. And that then is leading to uh, other issues of permeability and autoimmune disorders and all that stuff. So uh, go to Viome.com, V-I-O-M-E.com. There's a promo code that you can enter. I think the test is $199 for the, the, the test. And uh, if you put Premier Wellness 10 in to the promo code, they'll give you, I believe, 10% off. So it'll save you like 20 bucks off the test. Um, so check that out, Viome.com, V-I-O-M-E.com, Premier Wellness 10. And uh, check that out. You'll be certainly glad they did. All right, so let's kind of talk about cardiopulmonary first. And so symptoms of cardiopulmonary dysfunction. Remember, heart and lungs, right? So shortness of breath on exertion or, or when laying down. Common sy- symptom after post-COVID. Obviously the cough. Uh, some people get wheezing. Uh, some people get chest discomfort just with breathing at rest. And that well, how that'll happen is that you'll get inflammation in what's called the pleura of the lungs. So when you breathe in and breathe out, it actually just hurts, like the lungs themselves actually hurt with that breathing. Uh, Swelling in the lower legs or feet. Uh, Sometimes people get uh, arrhythmias or palpitations in their heart. Uh, Some people get dizzy, uh, dizzy just at rest, dizzy when they stand up from a seated position. Uh, Some people feel like they're gonna pass out or they're gonna faint. And, And some people are passing out and fainting. And one One thing that I will certainly say about all these symptoms, all these symptoms can be caused by much more serious conditions. So, you know, problems with your heart, congestive heart failure, blood clots in your lungs. I mean, so when in doubt, I wouldn't say, okay, you know, listen to Dr. Jensen. And when you have that stuff, you're going to take this vitamin to mitigate that. If you're having swelling in your legs, redness, um, tenderness, shortness of breath, you're passing out you definitely want to go to your doctor and get that checked out or go to the emergency room and, you know, do an EKG or, you know, get some other testing done just to make sure and rule out those like serious, serious things. But if all those things are ruled out and you're still kind of struggling with these things, then you're going to kind of fit into the protocols and things that I'm going to tell you about, which may help you mitigate some of that stuff. So that's cardiopulmonary. Neurological. 
So a lot of people, are, are, like we said, are, are really kind of dealing with what's called brain fog. Now, brain fog is, is not a medical term. It's just kind of a term that people will use because things just aren't sharp. You're not, you know, if you're trying to do like, you know, analytical like math or think or remember things or recall, you know, it's, it's just doesn't feel quite right. You know, they, they're thinking you feel sluggish and you're thinking, I guess, is the best way or fuzzy or not sharp. Um, and others describe the inability of achieving sustained attention. So kind of almost like you got attention deficit disorder. So you have like a, an acute attention, attention deficit disorder where you just you can't focus on something like you start getting distracted and you can't, you know, get the things done you want to do. So really, when when we looked into it, the underlying reason why that's occurring is because in inflammation in the brain, there's no doubt about that. Um, but secondary to that, which we'll talk about at the end, is mitochondrial dysfunction. And the mitochondria within the neurons are vitally important in um, good neurons and making sure the neurons are healthy. And, 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 and that could be a big, big issue. So uh, no doubt about that, you know, any place that there's ACE receptors, especially in the cardiopulmonary zone, uh, you're going to get inflammation and stuff like that. And then we know now that the COVID virus is breaching the blood-brain barrier and getting into your brain. And so as a result of that, you can definitely have some of these lingering neurological um, sequela from that. Obviously, the vascular system is another big one too. Um, very interesting. So there was a study that just got released, I wanna say within the last week or so, based out of the University of Michigan. And what they found is that the virus actually triggers the production of antibodies that are circulating out in the blood, and those antibodies are what's actually causing the coagulation and blood clots to occur uh, in people that are getting hospitalized disease. One of the main uh, uh, tests that you look at for clotting in the blood, it's called a D-dimer test. And so that's something that if you're hospitalized COVID, they for sure are regulating right away. My sister's a nurse and she works in the COVID ward up in Fargo, North Dakota. And um, yeah, there's definitely things that they look out for right away. And one of them is D-dimer and they immediately will put you on anticoagulants in order to make sure that you're not getting any clotting going. Um, so that definitely is something that we've known now for quite a while. So the phenomenon is an autoimmune reaction due to the immune system overreacting and attacking actually our own cells. And that's what uh, an autoimmune disorder does. Signs and symptoms of blood clots are trouble breathing, dizziness, swelling, and tenderness of the limbs, kind of the same stuff we'd said in the cardiopulmonary zone. So a lot of these things overlap. Um, next is the olfactory system. Again, one of the most common early signs of an infection uh, with COVID-19 is loss of smell. Uh, an interesting thing, what they initially thought was, we know that the COVID-19 virus actually targets uh, ACE receptors. Um, however, when you look at an olfactory nerve, an olfactory nerve has no ACE receptors whatsoever. So it's kind of peculiar as to why people were losing their sense of smell and taste. Well, what they actually found uh, when they looked at it is that the supporting tissue in and around the nasal passages uh, where the olfactory nerves come down um, uh, from your head, basically, uh, those are super, super dense with ACE receptors. And so what actually happens is that the COVID virus infects all of the tissue in and around the olfactory nerves and gets it super inflamed. And as a result of that, it basically chokes off uh, nutrient supply to the olfactory nerves and starves them to death. And so they don't function well. And so then that's when you lose um, your sense of smell. 
uh, and taste as well. And so the good thing about that is that since it's not damaging the actual nerves and just kind of inflaming the tissue surrounding, given enough time and, and effort, and some of the things we'll talk about today from an anti-inflammatory standpoint, as well as treatment standpoint, you can actually regain uh, your sense of smell and taste. But again, early intervention is crucial. But most people, they don't really have it for a real, real long time. Um, they usually kind of lose it for a month or two at the most. But if it prolong is prolonged past that, then you definitely want to implement some of the measures that we're going to talk about today to get your uh, sense of smell uh, and taste back as well. Speaking of that, it is, there's a term for it. It's called PISL, which um, post-inflammatory smell loss is what that's called. Um, Again, rarely lasts more than a month, but you can utilize some training. I thought it was kind of funny that the way that they actually analyze uh, your sense of smell, it's called a uh, a sniffins test. Say that's pretty funny. So sniffin, it's called the sniffins sticks test specifically, and basically what it is is you got all these like different scents, and um, you just smell each one of them, and, and what it does, uh, it gives you a, a score basically. There's a th- it's called a it's based on three things a threshold meaning like how how well how strong is the scent um, a discrimination score which means like can you tell the difference between two different scents right and then there's a identification score where you can say well that's rose or that's vanilla or that's I don't know cinnamon right and so when you combine all of it together it just gives you a score so. If you score less than 16.5, that means you can't smell anything. If you smell, if you can go between 16.5 to 30.5, you have slight loss of smell. And then if you have greater uh, than 30.5, you have super acute, like really good sense of smell. Um, so when we implement mitigation efforts in order to regain your sense of smell, if any of the efforts you see a change of more than more than or equal to six points then that's really good uh, outcome from the intervention that you're doing. Um, so that's kind of what we look at. So I pulled up another study, and here's the idea. So if you have a loss of smell and it's greater than a month, then I would definitely implement this little protocol. So basically what you do is you're going to get, uh, what was the thing? Okay, you want to get rose. Uh, This is essential oils, by the way. You want to get an essential oil that has rose, one that has eucalyptus, one that has clove, and one that has lemon. So again, rose, eucalyptus, clove, and lemon. Then what you're going to do is uh, you're going to do a 10-second exposure to each one of those, and you're going to do that two times around, so 10 seconds of rose, 10 seconds of eucalyptus, 10 seconds of clove, 10 seconds of lemon, go back, same thing, 10 seconds rose, 10 seconds eucalyptus, 10 clove, 10 seconds lemon. You're going to do that twice a day, and you're going to do that for up to three months. What they found in the study is that um, I believe 21% of people had a significant improvement in their sense of smell within that time frame. So again, but the longer that people waited, the less likely they were to make that recovery. So again, early intervention, following that protocol, um, and that will actually help you strengthen up your sense of smell. So it's kind of like 
just retraining your neurology is all you're really doing. Like anything else, any type of neurological insult, it's just retraining your neurology to get sensitive again. Another big one, fatigue. All right. So the common reported symptoms of long COVID is fatigue, which is actually triggered by the viral infection. So they say fatigue can be described as a lack of energy. And when we think lack of energy, like the number one thing that I always think about is mitochondria. Now, mitochondria are little tiny organelles within our cells, and they're the power the powerhouses. So mitochondrial, basically, the only reason we live, the only reason we have energy, energy whatsoever for every function in our body is mitochondrial production. So they, they produce uh, ATP, which is adenosine triphosphate. And so what's interesting is they play... Um, they play a, a huge role in the uh, production of cellular energy, but they also play a huge role in a lot of other body processes. So um, cellular uh, immunity mediation, so as it pertains to um, kind of regulating the immune function and making sure that our immune system doesn't go into cytokine storm or go into autoimmune dysregulation, they're really, really important for that. They play a huge role in something called cellular apoptosis. So this is... Um, cellular death. So our cells are programmed that if something goes haywire in the cell, i.e. Uh, it turns cancerous and mutates, the cell has a is pre-programmed to kill itself so that it doesn't spread or grow and turn into a tumor. So the reason why cancer develops in people is because the cell didn't destruct itself like it was supposed to uh, and kept going and then it turned into a tumor eventually and then people have a cancerous tumor which spreads on their body. So Cellular apoptosis is extremely important program cell death. Uh, it's important in calcium signaling. Uh, it regulates cellular membrane potential. It's important for steroid synthesis and hormones. So it, it's, it's extremely important. So what we do know now on a cellular level, which is really fascinating, is the SARS-CoV-2 virus, actually when it gets into your body, it actually hijacks the mitochondria and it uses them as little power plants in order for it to replicate viral particles. And so um, it uses it for protection and viral replication. And it diverts resources from what the ATP is normally doing to help cellular function and energy, and now uses it as it's kind of like little host for viral replication. So obviously if your if you're, um, cells basically are being hijacked and your mitochondria are being used as little viral um, uh, viral centers and stuff like that, then it can't be producing and doing the other cellular functions for the body. So the SARS-CoV-2 is interesting. It uses the spike protein to gain access to the cell via the ACE receptor site. And once it binds to the receptor site, then the virus decreases the production of ACE2. And ACE2 has a regulatory effect on mitochondrial function. So the less ACE2 we have in our body, it results in less ATP production, and less ATP production leads to being tired and, and sluggish and fatigued. So the other big issue, obviously, and, and how, why this virus is more detrimental to older um, individuals is because as we age, the number or density of mitochondria in our cells actually decreases. Um, and so obviously as, so not only do people that are older have comorbidities, which we know is a big risk factor, um, for being hospitalized with this and then developing these long hauler symptoms that we're speaking about, 
but the ATP production, which regulates you know autoimmune disorders and inflammatory cascades and uh, and and energy production and everything else. Um, not only do you have less mitochondria when you're older, but then they're getting hijacked by the virus. And so you really can see where fatigue can set in and, and create all these other uh, major issues in, in the blood vessels and in the brain and, and everywhere else in the body because of these mitochondrial dysfunctions. So, so age and health status, they say, prior to infection is a huge predictor of outcomes and, and helps us determine who will develop long COVID or not. Uh, metabolic issues, obviously, um, associated with aging, obesity, and sedentary lifestyles um, are certainly not supportive for mitochondrial health. Um, and if the mitochondria are already in a state of dysfunction due to pre-existing health issues and oxidative stress due to low-level inflammation, you know, their ability to keep up with energy demands is going to be really, really compromised. So you can see how this all kind of is uh, cyclical. I mean, between you know the fatigue and the brain and the cardiovascular system and the inflammatory cascades um, and immune regulation, you know it's all intertwined uh, and, and it's the kind of the perfect storm that occurs. And so we're going to get into now like some of the mitigating factors. So actually the very first podcast I ever did, as you may remember, is actually when the pandemic very, very first started. And so, you know, during that, we really didn't know much about the disease. We certainly didn't know all these mechanisms that were going on. Um, And basically at that point, you know, I really kind of did a little podcast talking about, you know, what can people do in order to like ramp up their immune system and make it super, super strong to give them as much protection as possible from, you know, having a severe, severe infection. And so, you know, now, you know, some of these things will overlap for sure, but this, these mitigating effects now are going to be important in kind of two phases. Number one, during the infection, the active infection, uh, and obviously secondary to getting over the infection and dealing with the secondary effects from the infection itself. So not so much the COVID itself. So I went online, um, I'm in school right now for functional medicine, and so uh, I'm a member of uh, the Institute for Functional Medicine right now, and so they're constantly kind of posting research uh, that's coming out, uh, and they're doing some of their research. Now, some of this research certainly isn't um, specific to COVID-19. It'll be more specific to just viruses in general. Um, So again, you know, you can look at a study and, you know, that have be a controlled trial, double blind, you know, controlled placebo and stuff like that. Um, and, and that stuff probably certainly is still to come. Um, but a lot of this stuff has been trials that have been done with other viruses and such and shown to be very effective and have low risk. So, um, so we'll get into some of that today. So inflammation, you know, that's really the name of the game as it pertains to during and after viral infection. So one of the main ones that a lot of people know about, uh, which is a really good anti-inflammatory measure, is curcumin. Uh, Curcumin has been shown to reduce inflammation. Uh, It decreases viral activity for COVID-19, so they do know this about that. So uh, the three big benefits, obviously, as will pertain to each one of these, uh, it does enhance immune system, it does decrease viral growth, and it does reduce symptoms more quickly. Uh, I'm probably going to uh, send out, when we do send out um, the uh, weekly email letter to all of our member base out there, 
I'm actually going to include this little document in that as an attachment. So you don't have to write all these like milligrams down and things like that, but we'll cover them today. Curcumin should be taken five to 1,000 milligrams twice daily. All right. So that's the recommended dose. Um, if you have, uh, if you've been hospitalized and you have a higher inflammatory response and stuff, I would definitely err towards the the higher milligram dosages. Um, and if if mild, then maybe you can scale back a little bit. But again, you know, a thousand milligrams twice a day, that's what I would do with a, with a bad infection. Uh, number two, quercetin. Quercetin. So one interesting thing about quercetin. So I know there's a lot of, um, there was talk in the media uh, in the beginning about hydroxychloroquine, right? And, and you know, for, for indifferent to that whatsoever as far as the treatment of COVID-19, um, a lot of people don't realize that the mechanism behind it helping is not so much the drug itself treating COVID-19. Hydroxychloroquine actually acts as an agent which opens up the cell, which allows you then to get zinc into the cell. And zinc is actually what will actually mitigate viral replication. So the drug itself, I, I don't know if it's even, it is almost useless that uh, unless you have zinc in your body. So quercetin is the actual mechanism. So quercetin actually is I believe the active ingredient that's within hydroxychloroquine or one of them that actually enables this reaction to occur. So quercetin is 1,000 milligrams orally twice a day. Um, it's found in fruits and vegetables. It has a wide variety of benefits. It, it decreases viral replication and growth. And again, same three benefits, enhances immune system, decreases viral growth, and reduces symptoms. We spoke about that in combination with zinc. Uh, a m member of our practice uh, texted me the other day and said, hey, uh, is this zinc the, uh, the correct zinc to get? There's many different forms of zinc. I will tell you that you can take it orally or you can take as a lozenger. And so uh, then there's a difference. So she texted me the one that you should use as a lozenger, but she had it in the pill form. So I was like, uh, unfortunately, that's the lozenger variety. So here's the two main types. You can have zinc acetate, zinc citrate, zinc picolinate or zinc glycinate. Those are all oral pills you should take by mouth. The zinc gluconate, that is the one you should take as a lozenger and you just uh, let it dissolve in your mouth slowly over time. No matter what you take orally or lozenger, 30 to 60 milligrams orally daily, divided up into doses. So a lot of times they come in 20 milligram doses. So you would take obviously, you know, two to three of them a day. Um, Huge body of research shows that zinc has a strong antiviral property against many, many viruses. Another good one, N-acetylcysteine, otherwise known as NAC. I myself actually take that um, as a phase two liver detoxifier because I did a genetic test and I found out that my phase two liver detoxification pathway is not good, genetically speaking. So, you know, um, I take that as a supplement just to make up for that genetic um, limitation for myself, but like many other uh, supplements, they have multiple different benefits. So N-acetylcysteine promotes the production of glutathione. Glutathione is a huge, huge antioxidant, really good for liver detoxification, really good for your body in general. Uh, it supports immune function. Uh, in many, many studies, it reduces the severity of flu. So again, there's like the flu virus. This is a flu. This is another virus. So 
would definitely be assisting uh, in getting over the severity of COVID, I would I believe. Vitamin D. 65% of people that are hospitalized with COVID-19 are vitamin D deficient. So clearly, that's a huge, huge deal. Um, 5,000 IUs orally per day. During probably acute infection, I would probably tell you even to up that to 10,000 IUs a day. Um, vitamin D enhances immune system function, reduces viral growth, and can reduce upper respiratory infections. And clearly, this is an upper respiratory infection. Vitamin A. Um, if especially, I mean, if you don't eat a lot of good like orange and red and you know fruit, fruits and veggies, veggies especially, um, you're probably not getting a ton of vitamin A in your diet. Uh, the recommended dose is 10,000 to 25,000 IUs a day. Uh, vitamin A is anti-inflammatory, so that's important, obviously, for what we're dealing with here. Uh, this also reduces viral growth and can reduce upper respiratory infections. Once again, so another good one there. Vitamin C. Most everybody knows about vitamin C. Um, one to, well, excuse me, 1,000 to 3,000 milligrams orally a day. Now, one thing about that, uh, you can't just take 3,000 milligrams orally in one sitting. Uh, you might be on the toilet all day with that, not to mention the fact you can't absorb that much in one sitting. So this is one that, unfortunately, you probably have to take uh, in 500 milligram doses. So I would recommend taking you know, 500 milligrams in multiple doses throughout the day to kind of slowly uh, let it absorb into your bloodstream. Uh, vitamin C contributes to immune defense by supporting various cellular functions of the immune system. Vitamin C has been used in hospital ICUs to treat COVID-19 infection. Uh, they did have Dr. Worley's mom uh, on that for sure. She was taking 1,500 milligrams a day. We tried to get them <laughs> to give her 3,000 milligrams a day. They said that they wouldn't do that. That's not, that's not hospital protocol. So, again, that's a little frustrating, obviously, when you know something's good for somebody, but because it's not hospital protocol, they won't do it. But nonetheless, uh, we got them to meet us in the middle, and I think they upped it to 2,000. So we were appreciative of that. Another one that's uh, interesting, uh, a lot of people certainly wouldn't associate this with uh, helping COVID-19 uh, recovery, but melatonin. Melatonin, uh, obviously, sleep aid, helps you fall asleep, get a little better night's sleep at night. A lot of people take it. Five to 20 milligrams taken at bedtime. So in addition to promoting sleep, melatonin has been shown to actually reduce inflammation in the body. So a good thing to take post, uh, during and post. Elderberry juice. Uh, elderberry is packed with vitamin C. It's got dietary fiber. It's antioxidants. It's been shown uh, and used extensively to prevent uh, influenza, actually. So the dose with that would be 500 milligrams orally daily. Uh, you can probably get capsule elderberry capsules. I personally have elderberry syrup. I get organic elderberry syrup from, I think, Washington State. Um, so you'd have to look at the, the bottle to kind of see, like, I think for what I take in mine in particular, it's like a teaspoon it has 500 milligrams of the, um, active ingredient. In it, so it tastes good too. So I'd rather take something that tastes good than, uh, just take a pill that you don't taste anything. And so that's just me preference, my preference. Um, green tea, green tea has something called epogallocatechin gallate. E-G-C-G, uh, 225 milligrams orally a day, um, about the equivalent of four cups of green tea per day. 
In addition to reducing inflammation, green tea enhances the immune system and targets one of the processes involved in COVID-19 replication. Uh, a lot of people probably won't have a problem taking this one, uh, a popular one called resveratrol, found in red wine. Uh, 100 to 150 milligrams orally twice a day, uh, probably about two glasses of wine. Uh, resveratrol, a natural compound found in red grapes, many beneficial health effects, has been shown in labs to attack a relative of the COVID-19 virus. So not itself, but a relative of the COVID-19 virus. Something else called beta-glucans. Beta-glucans are anti-inflammatory. They enhance immune function, specifically benefiting those with upper respiratory tract infections caused by viruses. That's going to be 250 to 500 milligrams daily. Um, some of the other ones, which don't have a ton of research behind, but have been shown to definitely have a good benefit for immune function, is the medicinal mushrooms. So your reishi mushrooms, your cordyceps, your lion's mane, all those things are good immune modulators. Um, they also shown to have antioxidant antiviral effects. So that that's good. I have a um, Four Sigmatics has a mushroom blend that I'll put in my coffee uh, in the morning. And uh, that's just how I get kind of get the, some of those medicinal mushrooms in my diet. And then another one is licorice root. Uh, licorice root is commonly found in traditional Chinese medicine, uh, supports immune function, and reduces viral growth. So they recommend... Uh, two to 400 milligrams daily divided into doses, but they do not recommend you use that for longer than four weeks. Um, otherwise, it could have some, some other detrimental effects that wouldn't be quite as, as good for you. Um, and then I pulled up one more thing. Not that was so much in the functional medicine, but that I thought was important because one of the kind of big ones there at the end, we talked about fatigue and we've talked about mitochondrial health and mitochondrial health is going to affect all of these symptoms. It's going to affect your fatigue. It's affecting your cardiovascular system. It's affecting your um, cardiopulmonary system. It's affecting your immune response mediation and all that. So I think like one of the big, big ones that's kind of like outside the box thinking is supplementation for mitochondrial support. So I personally take something called Alms Bio, A-L-M-S, and then the word bio, B-I-O. So if you go to almsbio.com, they have a formula. They come in syringe. It's like a little liquid in, a, in these syringes, uh, kind of like a paste, I guess, almost. Kind of tastes like um, oranges. And it has a combination of a few things. It has the glutathione, like we spoke about before, which is that awesome antioxidant, which is going to be like a super antioxidant for the... Uh, free radical species that are going to be uh, happening as a result of a viral infection. It has CoQ10. CoQ10 is massive as it pertains to mitochondrial synthesis. Um, it has P something called PQQ, which is pyroloquiline quinoneg. Uh, that actually helps you grow and produce more mitochondrial. So it's called, it has mitochondrial biogenesis, it's called. So it's a the glutathione is only part of the super supplement. It's a, it's a master antioxidant. It has um, huge anti-aging uh, properties, um, essential for boosting energy output of the mitochondria, vital nutrients supporting mitochondrial biogenesis, like we said. Its purpose is to protect and support cellular function and cellular health from the ravages of cellular damage from free radicals from viral infections. So 
That's that's one outside the box. And then another one is hormesis. So hormesis is small little um, stressors to your body that actually enhance the strength of mitochondria. So we have um, photobiomodulation therapy at our practice. Called, we use these things called juve panels. So you'll use red and infrared light to penetrate. The infrared light is actually what does the magic. It'll penetrate in and it'll actually energize the mitochondria within your cells, producing more ATP output and energy production. So I would be uh, post-COVID or during, I would be in the juve panels like 10 minutes every single day. That that would be a super good thing to get over it quicker and mitigate the results of the infection. Uh, so 10 minutes a day of photobiomodulation treatment. And then um, another good one would be cold plunge or cryo chamber. So that's another really, really good one. I would be doing um, cold ice baths for five to 10 minutes like every single day or going into cryo chamber for three minutes, like maybe three times a week. Uh, that would be really good to uh, upregulate your mitochondrial uh, function. Um, Low-level exercise, you know, 30 minutes a day, just a good brisk walk outside, get some sun. That's going to be good for energy levels and mitochondrial support. And infrared sauna is another good one. So 20 minutes a day in an infrared sauna. So you're going to get the infrared light for mitochondrial uh, help. And the sauna, uh, the heat, obviously, from the sauna uh, produces heat shock proteins, which are also going to be very good. Uh, for recovery uh, from a COVID-19 uh, infection. So, so again, just kind of in summary, um, to, to, to mitigate and get over an infection quicker, we've really got to get to the heart of the problem, which is inflammation, all right? So we will be sending out all this stuff. Um, I would tell you, in a lot of instances, you can go back to my very first episode. I think step one is, you know, do all the different things we mentioned in the very first podcast to get your immune system functioning really, really well, right? Then in the, and then in the event that you get COVID-19, uh, one other little tip for you, um, if you get diagnosed with COVID-19 and you're kind of a high-risk category of other comorbidities, which makes you at higher risk, whether, whether you've been vaccinated or not vaccinated, I would definitely get the Regeneron treatment. The, the Regeneron treatment uh, with the monoclonal antibody infusion is a game changer. Like I've talked to patients that are getting it and they say like literally while they're getting the infusion in that 30 minute period, they literally feel like better, like while they're getting it. And within 24 to 48 hours, it's almost like the infection never happened. So that's certainly a game changer. I would, I don't know. I think there are local places set up in all these different towns and stuff. So I would just call the city or call whoever and just uh, call the local hospital and just kind of ask them where they're doing the infusions at. So if you get diagnosed, go get that right away and like it'll knock it like right out. Then I would then jump in and use some of these protocols so that you can knock out the fatigue and some of the other secondary effects from the inflammatory response, um, you know, because nobody wants to get damaged to their lungs and have to be, you know, restricted with oxygen and stuff like that the rest of your life. That's, that's certainly the last thing that you really want to do. So if you do have any questions, uh, certainly always feel free to try to reach out to me. You can... Um, Go to our website. You can send us a message, premierwellnesscenters.com. Um, that'll get in touch with me, and we can answer any questions you got. Again, I'll be sending out the list of nutraceuticals and botanical agents and all the milligrams and dosing uh, prescribed here today. And um, hopefully everybody is out there staying safe and just know, um, you know, we don't need to live in fear of this virus. You know, it's, a, it's in and around us all the time, but there are really effective treatment options for it right now. And if you utilize some of these other secondary things, 
um, we can really reduce hospitalizations uh, and deaths overall um, in the months and years to come, I believe. So thank you so much for joining us today, and I look forward to seeing you on your next, our next podcast. Thank you.